Today we're going back to the scriptures, we're going back to our study through the New Testament, we took a little break with the Fruits of the Spirit series, and today we're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, ushers coming forward with Bibles, and we're going to get back to our verse-by-verse study through the Word of God, through the New Testament. Interesting, today we're looking specifically at spiritual gifts, and specifically the gift of tongues. The title of the message today is, what does the Bible have to say about speaking in tongues. And we're gonna see that in detail in this chapter. Now, what the Apostle Paul's been doing is he's been going through a whole teaching on spiritual gifts. If you remember, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, he did a whole teaching, a whole chapter on the diversity of gifts. He talked about that within the body of Christ, there's all different members, and each member has a gift. And there's a, there's a great diversity of all different gifts among all the different members, But we have one body, the church of Jesus Christ. And as we use our gifts and have the diversity of gifts going, then those gifts are for the common good. They're to bless other people. And that's why God has given every single believer, as Mike said, a spiritual gift. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has equipped you with a gift, and you're supposed to use those gifts within the diversity of the body of Christ to bless other people, to edify people, and to bring a common good to the body of Christ. And so it's interesting, we, we broached that subject, chapter 12, and then Paul took a whole parenthesis in chapter 13 to talk about love. And he had that great chapter, the love chapter they call it. It's the, the scripture I used in my son's wedding this last uh, weekend, which by the way was a great event. It was a lot of fun. The weather was amazingly cool for July 7th, and so thanks for praying for that. It didn't rain, it was supposed to rain, it didn't rain. God was just all, all over good on that wedding. But anyways, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. Now, why does he parentheses two chapters on spiritual gifts? 12 is on spiritual gifts, 14 is on spiritual gifts, and then right in the middle, he does a whole chapter on love. You know why? Because the fruit of the spirit of love is way more important than even the spiritual gifts within the body of Christ. What should characterize the Christian more than anything is love. Jesus put it this way, a new commandment I give to you Christians You love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. And then he said this, and by this all men will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And he's he's putting with the sandwiches of the two chapters on spiritual gifts, he's putting right in the middle a whole chapter on love because he's trying to make an emphasis. The most important thing in the life of a believer isn't his gifts, it's his love and the fruit of the spirit of love. Also, I think he's putting that right in the middle too because he knows that this issue of spiritual gifts sometimes can cause even division within the body of Christ because there's different interpretations, different beliefs on how those spiritual gifts should be operated within the body of Christ. And so before we get into this gift of tongues, I want to say this. Hey, whatever your interpretation, whatever your biblical uh, theology is on this gift of tongues, don't let it divide you with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The spiritual gifts aren't supposed to be divisive. They're supposed to be there for the common good to build up the body of Christ, to bring edification and blessing and not division within the body of Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. So let's jump right in with that context. Let's jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll see what Paul has to say about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues within the church of Jesus Christ. Notice chapter 14, verse 1. The first thing he says, pursue what? There it is, love. Agape. If, if you're going to pursue anything as a believer, pursue not only Christ, but his love. His love. 
So important that we live in love because, hey, it's, we're told in scriptures it's the most excellent way. It's the way of Christ, the way of love. Look at Jesus' life. How did he live? He lived in love. In love for all people, too, by the way. The leper, the prostitute, the thief, the tax collector. Christian, pursue love. But it also says, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. So we're to pursue love. That's our chief, most excellent way. But we're still to be people that desire spiritual gifts. What does that mean? Find your gift and start using it. So I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, a couple suggestions there. You want to find your spiritual gift? Talk to Pastor Mike, who's done a whole class on spiritual gifts, and get, get, get him to give you the test on spiritual gifts. There's actually a questionnaire. You could take the test, and it'll identify your top three or four gifts. That'll help. But here's another way you could find your gift. <laughs> you want to find your gift? God can't steer a parked car. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means start moving, man. Start serving, start doing something for God within the church and outside the church. Start using your ability to serve the Lord. And here's what, the body will tell you whether that's your gifting or not. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ say, no, you don't want to do that. And, and that's like if I got up on the stage and tried to lead worship, the body would be very clear. Pastor John, don't do that anymore. I can't even sing and clap at the same time. That's so, so out of it I'm, with the gift of, of music or whatever else. I don't got it. I don't got I, I, I could play one thing, the radio. I can't play any instruments, nothing. I don't got the gift. And so desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but you, one of the ways you're going to find it is just start serving. Get involved. Start doing stuff. And we got more opportunities than ever here at Calvary Chapel for you to serve. Got opportunities in children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, outreaches, nursing homes. We're doing all kinds of stuff here. Get involved. Get involved. And the body will help you to identify your gift and desire earnestly spiritual gifts. And you do that, you find your gift, you start using it, you start serving. God wants every single believer to find their gift and start using it. Because then you become useful for the kingdom of God. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But especially, it says, notice, that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For one who understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The first thing he's doing in this chapter is speaking about tongues. He's making a differentiation between the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. The gift of tongues, he says, you're speaking to God. The gifts of prophecy, you're speaking to who? To men. Remember the prophets in the Old Testament, they used their gift of prophecy. They would say, thus saith the Lord. And then they'd speak a word from God to men. That's what the gift of prophecy is for. It's to speak a word from God to men. The gift of tongues is for men to speak to God. And here's how it works. When you hit this gift of tongues, what happens? And this is a spiritual gift some people get, some people don't. Need to make that differentiation too, because the last verse in the ch uh, chapter 12 on spiritual gifts, it says, do all speak with tongues? No, the answer is no. Not all people get this gift. But those that get it, they have this ability for the Holy Spirit to take over during their prayer times and speak to God. Give you a couple examples of, of the gift of tongues in Acts. Acts 2.11 
It says, Cretans on the day of Pentecost. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. They, they, they were speaking again to God about the mighty deeds of God. Acts 10, uh, verses 45 and 46 says, All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues. And what were they doing? exalting God. They were speaking to God. You know why that's important? Because in some Pentecostal churches today, someone will get up and speak in tongues, and then there'll be an interpretation, and the interpretation will be something like this, oh, my children, and then it'll be a message to people in that church. That's the gift of prophecy. When it's a message to men, that's a word from the Lord to men. It's a prophetic use of a gift. The gift of tongues is speaking to God, not to men. And so we know that gift is, and primarily it's to be used within, I believe, a prayer language. It's described in Romans chapter 8, this gift of tongues. It says this, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's the gift of tongues. And some people have this ability, the Spirit takes over while they're praying, and they start praying things that are too deep for words. It's words that you don't even understand, and it gets directed back to God, and it's the Holy Spirit praying through them, interceding according to the will of God. So it's a good gift. It's not a bad gift, it's a good gift. Because it gets you in the direction of praying according to the will of God in the Spirit. And it's wonderful. I've, I've had times in my life where I, I don't know what to pray for someone. I'm just going, I don't even know how to pray for that. But with the gift of tongues, what it does is it prays for you by the Spirit to God according to the will of God. Interesting. And also it describes prophecy again in verse 3. It says, but one who prophesies again speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That's a gift of prophecy. The purpose of having words from the Lord to God's people is to edify, to exhort, and to counsel, or or console, which means to comfort. Now, that's important too, because sometimes people get, quote, words from the Lord, and they don't comfort, (laughs) they don't exhort, and they don't edify. Give you an example. The last church I pastored in Wisconsin, before here in South Carolina, I had this lady come up to me right before the service, and, we, and we, we had a good group of people. There were probably about 250 people. And she comes a couple minutes before the service, and she hands me this two-page word from the Lord, and she said she was a prophetess. I go, ooh, I better read this. Because she wanted me to read it to the whole church. And so I read through these two pages, and it was like, I mean, it was angry. It was mean. It was even profane. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm going, this is profane. And I, after reading the two pages, I turned it to the scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I will not read this to our church. Because words from the Lord are supposed to bring edification, they're supposed to bring exhortation, and they're supposed to bring comfort. And I'm sorry, but this, this two pages doesn't bring any of that. And she looked at me like that, and then she had a word from me. And, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't read that. Doesn't follow what it says for words from the Lord, exhortation, advocation, or comfort. And she just walked away, and she left the church after that. And I kind of was like, well, see ya. <laughs> kind of glad, to be honest with you. 
because we don't need those kind of things to be on the body of Christ. If it's from the Lord, it's going to edify, it's going to exhort, or it's going to comfort. Amen? That's what words from the Lord do. And so it goes on. Now it says, one who speaks, again, speaking about tongues, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, notice what he says. I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Now, here's what Paul's saying about speaking in tongues. He's saying, it's okay. Don't negate the gift if you got the gift. I mean, some churches forbid it. Don't forbid it, but you need to understand what he's saying here is the gift of prophecy is a greater gift. Why? Because the one who speaks in tongues, it's primarily for their edification and to bless them in their prayer language or whatever. But the gift of prophecy is primarily for others to bless others. And what's the primary purpose of spiritual gifts? It's for the common good. It's to edify other people. And so there's a, there's a, there's, there's a, a saying, and what he's saying here is there's a, there's a priority of gifting. And the gifting of prophecy is a greater priority within the church of Jesus Christ because it blesses the whole church where the gift of tongues primarily just blesses the person in his prayer language that he's using it in. Do you see the difference there? So don't negate the gift. Don't say it's wrong for people to have that gift. But prioritize within the church services the gift of prophecy is what he's saying. Because prophesying will bring blessing and edification to the whole body of Christ. But, it says in verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Yet even lifeless things like a flute or a harp and producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in tones, how will be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that's clear, how will you know what, what is spoken? Interesting. For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound. For what again? What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? That last verse. The edification of the church. That's what we should be seeking and using our gifts is to bless people with the gifts that God gives us. Now, he's using three illustrations to try to illustrate how prophecy, distinct words from the Lord to God's people is more important than the gift of tongues. And the three illustrations, first of all, is music. He's saying, if you're playing music like I do and it's not distinguishable, it's not gonna bless anybody. Give you an example. I'll come over here to this beautiful grand piano right here and... I'll say, I got a gift. I'm going to play this thing. And I'll try to play it like, hey. And I'll just, okay, Lord, I'll I'll play this. Wasn't that a blessing? It wasn't a blessing. Because it was indistinguishable, right? Now, I had two piano lessons, and then I ditched and went to baseball after that. But I had two piano lessons. I learned one thing that was distinguishable, and it was this. <laughs> that was distinguishable. You can understand that. So it was a blessing instead of ah, like this. And so what Paul's saying there 
is use your gifting, use the gift of prophecy within a public setting, because it's distinguishable. You can understand. Then he says the bugle, the same thing. The bugle in that culture was used in a distinguishable way. A certain song would be played, and would call the troops in the battle. You had to hear that song, though. You had to distinguish it. And then you know it's time to go to battle. Same with the illustration of the barbarian. The barbarian in that culture didn't speak the universal language of Greek through the whole Roman Empire. So when you interacted with them, you didn't understand what they were saying. How many people have been in a country where they don't speak English and the people you're trying to communicate with don't have a clue what you're saying and you don't have a clue what they're saying? It's indistinguishable, right? I mean, Heidi just raised her hand over there because when we went to Costa Rica for our first mission trip to Costa Rica, this is back when Daniel and Sarah Barrett was our, actually our youth pastors. She was from Orange City, Iowa, the cornfields. Her Christian school didn't even have you learn a foreign language. And we get to Costa Rica and we're trying to do this evangelism with people that don't speak a lick of English. And she would try to speak a couple of the Spanish words. She, and she, uh, it, was, it was interesting. She wasn't used to not being able to communicate with anybody. And that's what happens. What it's saying here is why prophecy is a greater gift than the body of Christ is because it's distinguishable. People understand what you're saying as a word from the Lord. Exhortation, edification, comfort, where the gift of tongues primarily for yourself to bless yourself, it's indistinguishable. Groaning's too deep for words. Does that make sense? All right, let's go on now. Keep, let's keep seeing what Paul has to say about tongues. Therefore, let one, verse 13, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he might interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. See, how, it's a spirit praying through you when you have that prayer language of the gift of tongues. But my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? If I pray with the spirit, I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he doesn't know what you're saying. So if you're just speaking tongues in the service, they don't even even know what to say, when to say amen, because they don't know what you're saying. Interesting verse there, because what it's saying there is it's okay when someone's teaching and giving communication for God to the body of Christ, it's okay for you to say amen. I just heard my wife say amen. What does amen mean? So be it. And every once in a while, if God speaks to you, it's it's okay, say amen. Amen? Amen. So be it. So be it. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues, a little southern accent here, more than y'all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I might instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Interesting. Paul, the Apostle Paul, according to this verse, had the gift of tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than y'all. But he also said, it's more important within a church service for five words to be spoken prophetically that people can understand and be edified with than 10,000 words in a tongue. You know what this verse tells me? Tongues are primarily not for church service. Tongues are for your own personal benefit and blessing in your own personal prayer language. Church service should be a place where things are distinguishable, where you can be encouraged and edified and exhorted. You know, and that's why I love Calvary Chapel. What do we do at Calvary Chapel? Just teach the Word of God in such a way that hopefully you can get it and be exhorted and edified and comforted and you can bring something home, some handles of truth, right? And that's why as long as this guy's up here, the emphasis in this church 
is going to be the clear and simple teaching of God's word that you can understand and you can bring home and apply in your daily life. That's what we need in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what Paul's talking about. Brethren, don't be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, be men of strange tongues. By the lips of strangers I'll speak to this people. Even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Interesting. What it's saying there is sometimes tongues will be used, as in the day of Pentecost, for unbelievers. And what happened on the day of Pentecost is people from all these different nations came and they heard the apostles speaking in these unknown tongues. And what was interesting, they were actually the foreign languages of all these people from all different parts of different nations, and that was their language. And it led 3,000 people to Christ because of the witness of their language being spoken in tongues publicly on the day of Pentecost. Remember John Corson telling a story that they had a revival service in a uh, Los Angeles hotel in a banquet room. And um, they had someone stand up during the uh, revival service and the person spoke in tongues. And then after the person spoke in tongues in the public setting during the worship time, what happened was no one stood up to interpret. There's no gift of interpretation. And we're going to see in a few verses when there's no interpretation, then you're not supposed to have the gift of tongues because you need an interpretation. So John was a little confused about that, what was going on during this revival meeting, you know? And then afterwards, he went to the back of the banquet room, and because of it being a banquet room in a large hotel in Los Angeles, it was mandatory to have a, a bartender with an open bar. Nobody did it, but the, the guy had to be back there just to have the access to that banquet room. So John started talking to this guy and trying to share Christ with this guy that was in the back of the room. And he said, the guy was from Iran. And he said, I didn't know that you had people from Iran in your, in your revival series here tonight. And John said, what are you talking about? He goes, that guy, that guy that stood up during the service, he spoke with no accent, perfect Iranian language, and he was speaking about how great your God is. And that's the gift of tongues within a public setting. It's, it's used for unbelievers, as it says here in 1 Corinthians, to be a witness to them, sometimes in, in their very own language. And so it says in verse 23, therefore if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you're mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God and declaring that God is certainly among you. Again, the contrast between tongues and prophecy. He said, if the church all stands up, and you all just start, blah, 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 shimmy, 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 I'll start speaking with tongues. And there's no order to what you're saying, and your gift of tongues are like going to see is necessary in the next few verses. And blah, 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 like this, we're all just giving out tongues. And an unbeliever walks in, what's he going to say? You guys are nuts. And what that unbeliever is going to do, he's going to be looking for the exit signs and go, when do I get out of here? And he'll probably never come back. But if an unbeliever comes in, and all of a sudden there's a word from the Lord that speaks right to their secrets of their heart. And it's distinguishable. And it's prophetic. And it discloses some things that that heart needs to be disclosed on. What will that unbeliever do? Sometimes that unbeliever will hit the ground and say, 
God is real because he just spoke to me through that word that was, that was distinguishable. You see the difference? By the way, that happens at Calvary Chapel all the time. It amazes me. As we go verse by verse through the word of God, God brings just the right person for that Sunday to hear those verses. Happens all the time. I get accosted after the service sometimes by people that say, did my wife talk to you? I don't know. I just teach it verse by verse through the Bible. That's all. But it was a word from the Lord to that person that needed to be convicted in an area. And I'll say something like, well, if the shoe fits, wear it, pal. No, I wouldn't say that, but, but that's how I feel. You better listen. If the Lord did speak to you, you better listen, right? Founder of U-Turn for Christ, Pastor Jerry, great example of that. Before he got saved, he was lost. He was a drug dealer, crazy, living a crazy life. He was in divorce court with his wife. Last minute uh, attempt by him to save his marriage. He went to Calvary Chapel, Hemet, with his wife. His wife had already gotten saved. In the midst of divorce. He walks in, in the worship, he got through the worship, but then the pastor starts teaching, and he's teaching Ephesians 5 about husbands love your wives. And pastor Jerry was so upset because he said, my my wife talked to you, and, and he did a U-turn, but he didn't do a U-turn for Christ. In the middle of the teaching time, he did a U-turn and walked out the middle aisle swearing because he was convinced he was being targeted in that service. He wasn't being targeted. He was just teaching verse by verse the book of Ephesians, and it nailed him, disclosed the secrets of his heart. And he was so mad, he told his wife afterwards, you talked to him, and you targeted me, and, and then <laughs> he said, I'm coming back next week, because his wife was saying, no, he's just teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's all. He goes, no, he's not. He picked me, and he taught in marriage, because I was going to be there, we're in the midst of divorce. She goes, no, 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 he'll be in Ephesians 6 next week. No, he's not. So he came back purposely to show her that he wasn't going to be in the next chapter next week. Guess what? He was in the next chapter next week, and it was Ephesians 6 on being a godly dad. And he got convicted again. And right after that, he got saved. Because God showed him through a word from the Lord the secrets of his heart and what he needed to repent of. Isn't that how God works? See that all the time. Just faithful to teach the word, God will disclose the secrets in your heart and make the changes that are necessary. Because God's word does not return empty. All right, let's keep going here now. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be two or three at the most, and in each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. But let two or three prophets speak, and let, let others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God's not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Do you see what he's saying there? That's ecclesiology there. That's, that's order within the church. And what he's saying is, if the gift of tongues are used in a public setting like a church service, it should be at the most, what, two or three in order with an interpreter. And the same with the gift of prophecy. If someone has a word from the Lord for the body of Christ, it needs to be in order. It needs to be just two or three in order. And also, listen, it needs to be tested too. If someone comes to you and says, I got a prophetic word from the Lord, 
You know, uh, the world's going to fall apart tomorrow. You need to pack up all your stuff, move to the mountains, and be all alone up in the mountains. Test that. Test that with the word of God, counsel from godly people, and make sure that's just not someone who had bad pepperoni pizza last night and had a dream about something weird. (laughs) Test it with the word of God and with the counsel of other godly people. And also, it needs to be done in order. When someone speaks in tongues within a service, again, should it be everybody all, all at one time? That happens in a lot of Pentecostal churches, or hyper-Pentecostal churches. You get there and everybody's just like this. No, no, no. Two or three in order with an interpreter. In our last church in Wisconsin, I remember um, we were in this brand new facility and someone stood up in the middle of the service during the worship time. He started speaking in tongues. Ooh, didn't know what to do with that. But then after he stood up, spoke in tongues, he sat down, somebody else stood up and had an interpretation. It was good, too. It was about the greatness of our God. And so after that person stood, sat down with that interpretation, I stood up right before my message, and I said, hey, here's what's going on. I turned to 1 Corinthians 14, and I said, this is a tongue, and this is an interpretation. It was done in order and had an interpretation. So praise the Lord. And that's the proper use of this gift of tongues within a public setting. And it should be the same way. If someone has a word from the Lord, it should be tested by God's word and God's people and not just taken taken without testing. And you know why that's important? Because sometimes, sometimes people will, to grab attention or whatever else, well, I got a word from the Lord, and it's not really from the Lord. When I went to Fuller Seminary, uh, before I started the ministry, I knew this couple, great couple, godly couple, young, young, Young couple, they're in love with each other. But they were going to a hyper-Pentecostal church and someone stood up within the service and pointed them out and said, you two are not, they're engaged. And and this person prophetically said, you two are not supposed to be married. You need to stop even dating. And it broke them up. Guy was heartbroken. And you need to test words from the Lord from other people and make sure they're for your edification, your exhortation, and your comfort, and not just take them blindly. Does this make sense? That's one of the reasons why you got God's word, to make sure we're going with what God's word says. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you peace. His spirit will, will rule in your hearts. If somebody really has a word from the Lord, you'll have a peace about that also. And that's why we have godly counsel also. Hmm. All right, let's close it up now. Boy, I'm digging a deeper hole here in verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for women to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of the Lord first went forth, or has it come to you only? Now, context, please, context. What are we talking about? We're talking about words from the Lord. We're talking about prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 11, it said women should keep their head covered when they're prophetically speaking in church or when they're praying. Obviously, Paul was not against women praying or even giving prophecies within church, words from the Lord. And what, what's talking about here is that if someone is prophetically speaking in the church, women, wait to get home to talk to your husband about that. And part of it, it was in that culture, in the Roman Empire, the, the Christian churches were in a synagogue style. What do I mean by that? In the synagogue, Orthodox synagogue in the first century, there'd be women on one side and men on the other side. And, and still to this day, some Orthodox synagogues are the same way. Women will be on one side, men will be on the other side. If you go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, still to this day, you'll have people on the Western Wall, 
there'll be men on this side, Jewish men on this side, and women on this side. They're separated. And so what was going on was people were giving, getting words from the Lord, prophetic words, and the women on this side didn't understand the, what was going on with those prophetic words. So they were talking across the aisle to their husbands. What's going on there? Teach me what's, what, this, what, the, what this is all about and stuff. And Paul's saying, the word actually, uh, women stay silent, is stop chattering. And so what it's saying here is, is don't, while the word of the Lord is being presented on a, a church service, don't be chattering. And the application for us today is this. Men and women, when the word of God's being taught, listen, don't be chattering. And I would add to that too, worship, when worship's happening, man, this is our one time on Sunday morning along with Wednesday night to really worship. Don't be out in the back hanging out, chattering and talking and stuff when you could be praising God, right? That's the application for us today, I think. Keep the order in the service and focus on what you need to focus on and don't bring chatter within the service. That's what he's talking about there. So let's close up our chapter. Verse 37. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which are right to you are the Lord's commandments. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And notice what it says, verse 39. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. Interesting. But all things must be done, what? properly in an orderly manner. That's it right there. You know what Paul's saying there? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because weird things have happened in churches out there, don't negate the supernatural. Don't negate God even giving you, possibly, the gift of tongues. Don't forbid people to be spirit-filled and operate in some supernatural ways. And if God wants to do that for you, praise the Lord. But at the same time, what, you know what else he's saying? When you exercise spiritual gifts, especially the supernatural ones, make sure it's done properly and in order. Don't let it get weird. And by the way, that's one of my jobs as a pastor. And one of my jobs as a pastor is to make sure everything within every service we have here, yeah, let all things be done. Let's, move, let's see God move. Let's, let's pray that the spiritual gifts are, are, are powerful and that God's supernaturally moving us. But I'm not going to let it get weird. My job as a pastor is to make sure everything's done in an orderly, decent way. <laughs> Remember when we first started in the church, we had a small group. We maybe had up 60 people at the most. We're in that steel building that's a cafe now uh, back there. And um, maybe 50, 60 people were coming on Sunday mornings. And when a new person would come, I'd know about it because we were new and we were small. And I remember there was Heidi was leading worship at the time and stuff. So we were in that steel building. And I'd come with her early for the worship practice because she was the worship leader. And I'd sit in the front row while the worship team's practicing for that hour before the service. And I remember one Sunday, well, again, maybe 50 people at the most at our church at the time, I'm sitting in the front row listening to my wife lead the worship team. And this lady comes like 45 minutes early. Go, praise the Lord. New person, 45 minutes early. That's unheard of. And so she came and then she went to the front row by, right by me. And the worship was going on, so I couldn't really talk to her because the worship was going on and practice going on. And then she gets up and she starts, woo, like this. And she starts doing this. I, I, don't, I don't even try to imitate what she was doing. 
It was, it was weird. I mean, I'm just going, what in the world is going on here? But praise the Lord, another visitor, you know? And then the church service started. And she didn't go to the back to do the woo like this. She's right in the front. Like, why can't she be a back row Baptist and do that? I mean, she's like this, like this. And I'm going, oh, we only have 50 people. It's very obvious. What she, and she's front and center. So I said, well, we're just going to get through this. We're all standing away. So just, we'll, we'll make it through this thing. But then she starts walking from her seat towards the stage. And at that time, we used to have a tambourine for the lady vocalist. And I see her go towards the tambourine. And I'm going, I don't even know if she's like me and she can't keep a beat. And so I was like a San Francisco 49er safety. I'm like, I'm going to intercept this thing. And I went, I went and I grabbed the tambourine from her and I did it like this and I put it back on the stage. And um, she gave me some looks. And then I got a phone call the next day. And she said, you quenched the spirit. God's spirit was leading me up in that stage, and you quenched the spirit. And I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but I don't think I quenched the spirit because we try to do everything at Calvary Chapel in an orderly way, and you weren't very orderly. And I'm sorry if you felt I was quenching the spirit, but only the worship team is supposed to be up on the stage. They practice for an hour to make sure that it's done orderly and done well. And I have no idea how well you even play the tambourine. <laughs> and, and for some reason, she never came back. <laughs> but, but that's part of my job. My job is to make sure everything is done. Yeah, everything's done, but everything is done decently in order. I'll tell you one more story and then we'll pray. Um, when we first started the church... We were at Calvary Chapel. Nobody around here had heard of Calvary Chapel when we first started church in Lexington. They just put us in the camp of non-denominational, because we were. We weren't really affiliated with any denomination. But all the churches that were started before we started Calvary Chapel that were non-denominational were hyper-Pentecostal, snake-handling kind of churches. And so we got thrown in that camp. And I remember meeting people the first year or two when we started the church. Do you handle snakes at Calvary Chapel? I go, what are you talking about? And they go, all the other churches, not know churches before you started, they were snake handling churches. And I'm going, well, <laughs> I hate snakes. We'll never have a snake ever. Promise, just come. Well, you might be a snake handling church. I go, no, we're not. And I remember, and, and you know what, I was studying for this message early in the week this week, and the first state newspaper I saw on Monday had this on the state newspaper. Snake handling preachers in South Carolina, they're making a comeback. It's basically what they're saying. And then I had another picture like that. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I remember now, 20 years ago. That's what they threw the, us in that same camp. And, what, and the article is interesting because it even said in the article, just recently a snake handling preacher in South Carolina got bit and he died. I'm going, that's not done decently or in order. Is that what God wants? That's a misinterpretation of Mark chapter 16 that says that if you handle poisonous snakes, you'll be protected as a missionary. And it was fulfilled within uh, the apostle Paul when he was on the island of Malta. He was bit by a viper, a poisonous viper, and God protected him. But does that mean God wants us to bring poisonous snakes within his church and handle them because we have so much faith? No! Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test, Right? And so, so after two or three years, 
We just kept teaching the word, teaching the word, teaching the word. We got a whole new reputation in the community. People started finding out Calvary Chapel, if you go there, they're not going to handle snakes. They're going to teach you God's word. You're going to learn God's word at Calvary Chapel because that's all we do, teach God's word. And then that summer after I started, oh, we, we, we're not in that camp anymore of, you know, poisonous snakes. We, st- we had a VBS, and one of my assistant pastor's sons just got a new pet, and he brought in a VBS, and guess what it was? It's a snake! <laughs> and I ran over there, and we had all these visiting parents bringing their kids, and we got the snake, you know, I'm going, oh! <laughs> and so I went over in a kind way to the little child and said, you really need to bring your snake home, you know, because that's not what we're about here at Calvary Chapel. We're going to do all things, but we're going to do them decently and in order. We're not going to negate anything supernatural. No way. We're not going to forbid people if they have the gift of tongues. Stop doing that. That's demonic. No, it's not. It's a spiritual gift. We're not going to forbid that. We want all things to be done but we want them done decently in order. And within the church, especially public church services, we want the emphasis to be clear, distinct teaching of God's word so there can be thus saith the Lord in the people's lives and we can be changed and transformed and renewed and healed and saved through the teaching of God's word. That's what we're gonna be about. If that's what you want, that's what you'll get here. And that's what I want too. I want us to be a church that's spirit-filled. God's moving here, supernatural in supernatural ways, but I also want us to be a church that's tempered and and balanced with the word of God because God's word is what we're supposed to be equipped with for works of righteousness as we gather as God's church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, God, that you help us through your word to understand how we're not only supposed to live, but how we're to operate as a church, God. And so help us to be a church, Lord, that's flowing in this area of spiritual gifts. Help us to be a spirit-filled church where we're all finding our gifts and, and using them for the edification of the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, the giftings that you've given all throughout this room are are, are diverse. There's many. There's gifts of serving. There's gifts of helps. There's gifts of leadership. There's gifts of faith. There's gifts of teaching. There's gifts of mercy. There's gifts of evangelism. And I pray, Lord, as we continue to go forward with all the outreaches we're doing and all the different ministries that are being started, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't sit on our gifts, Lord, but we'd find them and use them and exercise them for your kingdom but for your glory, God. Father, help us to walk that line of balance in regards to being a biblical church, but also a spirit-filled church, Lord. Help us to be a church that's earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, but doing everything decently and in order, Lord. Father, just thank you so much for the way that you're moving in this church, Lord, and I pray that you continue to do that in some wonderful and great and supernatural ways, Lord. Help us to always be open to what your leading is and what your spirit wants us to do, Lord. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's all stand, church. God bless you. Be people that use your gifts this week. Be people that know that God has gifted you and he's gifted you to bless other people with those gifts.